0: If you have an event of 150,000 people in it and you fail crowd management, you will go to jail, people will die, and it's going to do extreme financial damages. It means the world to me and my team that you've come here, and there are a couple of thank yous that I want to say.
1: Amantas hey, Pedris is a final year events management student recently named in Access All Areas magazine 30 Under 30, who documents his foray into the events world by building a personal brand
0: on LinkedIn. And then I get a call like in the middle of the night, randomly from Festival Republic, my dream company to work for And they're like, oh, we found your CV from one of your previous applications, like the one that got canceled. We want to offer you a position starting in like four days. I legit packed up my bags, came to a festival site, worked there for a month. And then I realized that I got into a bit of a inner circle.
1: The Extrospective podcast is sponsored by Runner which is the first of its kind number one rated fully automated running coaching service. Whether you're training for your first marathon a faster 10k time or simply couch to 5k you'll be guided by an expert team including Olympic marathon runner Steph Davis. Download Runner spelt R-U-N-N-A today from the app store and take your running to the next level. With code Zach, you'll be able to get your first two weeks free and see what all the hype is about. That's
0: Zach Z-A-K, for your first two weeks free.
1: All right, so, Imantas, hey welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, my friend?
0: Hi there, I'm doing perfectly fine today. Yeah, how's your day going?
1: Super well, and even better now that we've we've started recording this podcast. This is actually the first of two <laughs> I'm recording today. Uh, someone booked in for later, which is why this was which moved earlier, so schedule at the moment, uh, but really excited for this one. But before we dive into that, uh, how would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners?
0: I would like to introduce myself as an event manager who is interested in marketing and technology.
1: That's you. And of course, you are a student at the University of Surrey.
0: Yeah, still Uh, technically a student.
1: (laughs) So we actually met there. And and before we begin this podcast, I'd like to kind of briefly take us back to when we first connected, because I think it's quite important context, especially given... Uh, the many TEDx speakers that I've had onto the podcast so far. So, uh, early February last year, so 2022, we had a bit of a refreshers fair, which is essentially when societies and clubs get that opportunity to kind of recruit students. Last year, as I was president of the Cycling and Triathlon Club and was so preoccupied for most of the day. But just as I was about to leave, my friend Ray, I thought it'd be a good idea to go around and have a look at what everyone else was, was putting on offer. And I actually stumbled across the stand with you stood behind that, with a massive tedx banner and i was instantly drawn to that opportunity of course many of the listeners most of the listeners i would say have heard of tedx i've of course heard of tedx watched it from when i was younger as a bit of a nerd <laughs> looking at all these talks and so i was like okay in, in my own university and you actually mentioned to me that you'd seen some of the work i was doing as part of the the triathlon club you know with the marketing and the sponsorships and things which i was really surprised by i didn't know that anyone else other than the club knew what was going on and encouraged me to be part of the team so that quick decision and, and saying yes to that opportunity and then later it turning into hosting the event and working with yourself and the speakers more closely has probably played a very major role in propelling me forward in life with confidence with opportunity and so yeah i just wanted to say before we start this podcast i want to say thank you for that opportunity and i think it's a fantastic thing you were doing
0: yeah, I feel like you just basically took the most out of that opportunity. Not a lot of people manage to do that. And it's really, really nice to have you to have had you on a team. You made a massive contribution and yeah, it all well paid off.
1: Uh, we'll of course talk about TEDx Surrey University later on, as it's probably one of the biggest projects that you've kind of taken from the ground up. But to wind it back to the early years, providing a bit of context for the listeners. How and where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Lithuania. Uh, I've basically lived my whole life there near the capital. And yeah, I've only moved to the UK only a couple of years ago, uh, just for my studies, for my university studies, to basically have access to education in show business. I'm studying events management and back home with the biggest event being like 40,000 people. um, I definitely wanted something of bigger scale.
1: How does Lithuania compare day-to-day life for you to what it's been like in the UK?
0: I don't know, It's, it's definitely, maybe more comfortable. When I move back home, uh, everything just slows down a bit um, when I compare it to now, uh, life nowadays. It just feels like home, um, it's just because I've spent so much uh, time there. The education uh, system is basically getting you ready for so much in life, I would say. Um, coming to the UK and studying here was absolutely easy. I'm very sorry if that sounds, sounds like I'm laughing at somebody, but yeah, coming to study to the UK was extremely easy. Coming from a Lithuanian background, and I feel like, in general, uh, we're just raised to be very hardworking people. Uh, so when we move to the UK, we might see some people as lazier or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's just just a small outlook and a small difference, yeah.
1: I think given the current productivity crisis, it, it's not too hard to
0: outwork an Englishman. <laughs> um, I feel like in the UK, you speak English, which is what we're like really, really widely recognized and all of that. Really, don't need to learn another language to basically succeed in in one industry or another. For us, since if you if you if you spoke a language that was only spoken by like three million people, you would definitely want to learn another language. You would want to learn um, about other cultures and all of that, just because you kind of see yourself joining other cultures to basically succeed in specific um, industries, as I'm doing right now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to run away from the fact that. I moved here because of more opportunities um, in my specific field uh, to basically learn more uh, of the innovations in my field and all that. So you basically are just preparing to move somewhere, sadly, that's how I see it, yeah.
1: And so when you were a child growing up, what were you like, personality-wise?
0: I was very shy, extremely shy uh, of a child. I had like a perfect bully package. Uh, I just wanna share that quickly. I've had like really weird looking glasses, uh, my mom used to dress me. I would never hit back. Um, what else? I was a bit overweight. Uh, my legs were, like, pretty uneven. Like, I walked as, like like a penguin. Um, and what else? My teeth were extremely crooked. Um, yeah, so a lot of things. Uh, and that's why I would get picked on in school. Um, and I, I basically, like, that ended only when I started doing sports. Um, so I played basketball for, like, good six or seven years of my life. Um, nearly at a professional level, um, and yeah, that's that's when it kind of stopped going that way because I feel like that gave me confidence, uh, that mostly came from sports and all of that to to basically stand up for myself. But yeah, a very shy uh, like shy child never thought that I would go into any leadership positions. Yeah, but that changed uh, a bit later in life. So when would you say it did change? Um, when I went into high school, I feel like that's that's when it happened because I just. I don't know, joined a few like leadership uh, leadership camps and all of that, like networking groups uh, with people that were like, oh my God, we want to like build businesses and all of that. And I don't know, I started attending my first public speaking classes and, and similar things like that. And then it just completely changed. I was just like, I need to challenge myself to do things. I've started with all of the things of like uh, writing down goals and all of that. I don't know, starting with financials, finishing with like personal branding and all of that. And then, yeah. I I then took a really big step. I said, okay, one thing I'm really scared of is being in the spotlight and then everyone is like public speaking. Uh, What can I do to make that happen? And I've set a goal of becoming uh, like a school council president. And yeah, it's a big thing in our school. I know it's like a small thing when I look back at it, but I don't know, you you get like 500 students voting for who's going to become their president. Uh, you have to give, like, pitches of how you're going to make the school better. You get to run all of the events at the school. Um, that's where my events management background comes from, uh, the passion for it and all of that. Yeah, it's it's been an insane ride. And um, managing a team of 70 people as well, when you're like, I don't know, 14, 15, something like that, it's, it's a pretty big deal for me, at least. Um, yeah, so that's when it all started switching to more of a leadership approach everywhere. I just realized that I'm capable of it and started loving it, yeah.
1: I read somewhere on your LinkedIn that you set up a business in 2012 uh, called the Lawn Brothers, or at least that's what Google Translate said. So what was the inspiration behind this? I mean, was this sort of a similar time period as we're talking now?
0: Uh, Yeah, it was even before that. Um, That was actually one of the uh, hardest transition periods between like the pro uh, pro gymnasium and uh, gymnasium that we have in Lithuania. It's like middle school, then high school, and all of that. So um, yeah, uh, I was 12 years old. I wanted to buy a PlayStation. That's how the story starts. Simply as that. Um, And I asked my mom for a PlayStation, and she said um, no. And basically, you'll have to wait until Christmas. And I was like, no, it's summertime. I want the PlayStation. And I started working for my neighbors, cutting their grass. I don't know it was like, let's be completely honest, I was like 10 euros a day, maybe. Um, comparing now to like how, how it is in the UK, it's insane. But um, yeah, that small um, summer job basically got a bit bigger over the years. And uh, we started getting more clients. We started getting like into uh, digital marketing as well. I started launching like Facebook ads, started having a Facebook booking platform And then we started focusing more on the really posture neighborhoods, um, the houses that would be like abandoned for the whole summer, just because people would be in like vacations, holidays and all of that, focusing on those. And at the end of the day, uh, our team, the biggest we've got was uh, five people. And we were nearly having like part-time to full-time jobs, all of us, uh, when I was roughly 16, 15 in that that age, age, age grab. And then I had to finish it um, when I was 17 because I basically moved on to other things and just realized it wasn't worth my time anymore because that would take my whole summer legit. Like from 12 to 17 years old, those five years, I did not do anything over the summers. I would legit cut grass, have my like underage friends employed with me to work on the cutting grass thing and all of that. And then, yeah, it was, it was an interesting venture. It definitely wasn't something that, uh, I look back and I'm like extremely proud of, but it's set really nice um, worth ethic for me. It showed me how money's made. It showed me, I don't know, how you can employ your friends being underage. That that was really interesting. And yeah, it's basically a lot of client uh, relationships, marketing and all of that thing. So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. I don't know how that started. Definitely like not a massive success story, but it allowed me to um, later on come and study in the UK. It allowed me to later on, um, like try and launch my first festival business. So it was something to lead to everything. Yeah, that was really nice.
1: I love that story because it's so enterprising and it's from such an early age as well. The question that immediately pops into my head is what is that differentiating factor between the kid that goes, I want a PlayStation. Oh, I can't have it now. Oh, guess I'll just wait which yeah. is literally how I'd imagine I would have been. I mean, I wasn't out there creating my own business at 12 compared to an individual like yourself, which I would see as an outlier in a good way, who then just takes it into his own hands and manages to scale it up and, and smartly as well. You know, you, you are targeting posher neighborhoods with people with multiple properties. So they needed their gardens managed when they're away.
0: I think that's such an inspiring story. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't push it as like this really entrepreneurial idea. I feel like I've just seen some of my friends doing it. And then I was just like, okay, can I basically become like, can this become a more like worthwhile project? Can it just become a bit more long term and just like have a bit better longevity? So um, yeah, that, that's how it started. It wasn't like a really original idea. I just took it to the next level, made it a bit of a, a, like, I made a better plan for it and just better execution. Uh, a bit more branding, rather than just a one-off person working somewhere. I feel like because I don't know, I was really mad at my friends, and I wanted to just basically prove myself. I was just like, I'm gonna do like some some business and all of that. I'm gonna try and make this work and and make my own money. You know, just like I don't know, an angry independent child. Like I wanted to be independent. I was angry at my friends uh, because we had like a uh, like I don't know a, a, a massive um, conflict before that, and I was just like, yes, I need to make my own money. So is isn't as as inspiring, but um, yeah, it, it's lovely to look back, for sure.
1: I don't want to dwell on this point too much, but yeah, it's not original. Obviously, it's not a new idea of cutting your neighbor's grass and going round. But I think the fact that there are so many people with great ideas, poor execution out in the world gives us that, that opportunity to actually, rather than having to be creative enough to think of the idea, just looking at where people are doing it but not executing it well and going i can do that and do it well and it's seeing that that there is a demand for it because obviously it's it's a proven concept that that it works you mentioned there that kind of propelled you into the world of events management alongside the being the student council chairman you know setting up events before you got directly into working for events companies were you recognizing internally that you were uh, manifesting the traits of being a leader of being a manager of, of, of sorts or or was that not really something that you thought
0: about much at the time oh yeah it was definitely at that in that period i specifically started to like get into every leadership position possible i feel like i just wanted to you know like when they ask for volunteers i would be always the like the first person to lift my hand up and be like yes i want to do this but yeah, it just afterwards, it just got to uh, even an obsessive thing. Like I just could not let of, let go of my leadership everywhere. And right now I am definitely better with that. But um, yeah, before that, it was just like I was craving every possible leadership opportunity. Yeah, This is a tricky question because it's,
1: it's something that is obviously trying to be in, introspective. But why is it that you wanted to go all the way opposite from being shy to almost being in the limelight and leading people? Because... I see some some similarities between myself being very shy and then progressing into you know yeah. doing something like this, right?
0: I just felt like my ideas were worth sharing, um, that I had something good to share with other people as well in, in leadership, uh, because leadership for me is not management, it's leading people. So it just basically has to, you have to see all the strengths from other people and get them up and, and uh, yeah, get them going, not yourself going, but just get other people together and make them work as a team. Um, yeah, I felt like I had that in me and I thought, okay, that's valuable. I want to just learn how to communicate that to other people. I need to basically portray myself as confident, as as strong of a personality and all that. So, I don't know, maybe that's like a loop that I'm getting stuck in uh, with what's the what's reason and what's an outcome of, of just trying to become a leader. But um, yeah, I would see it that way.
1: What, what is it now that would make a good leader in your eyes?
0: It's going to sound weird, but being vulnerable, first of all, um, like not trying to be that um, I'm the strongest person, the smartest person in the room, Uh, being very vulnerable and very transparent about, okay, I'm getting these people together. They might be way better than me in specific fields, but I still want them in my team because I see it as a mutual benefit for everybody in the team. Um, Yeah, so not trying to be the best in everything that you do in life. Um, than caring about the people on the team. That's that's one of the key things that I definitely got wrong in the past. What else? Having, m- basically, I feel like a long-term perspective on things. So basically, if if something goes wrong and you realize that something goes wrong, uh, you just basically have to focus on something more long-term, just have a bit of a vision, rather to just um, focus on something that happened really badly in, in a specific second. Um, yeah, that, in my opinion, takes, a person from uh, a manager that's looking into like, just micromanaging people to a leader that that sees something a bit more long term, and is able to solve that. So yeah, and focusing on solving things rather than focusing on problems as well, because I've, I've had that quite a lot uh, with with my managers, when they say, Oh, we have a problem. And basically, they're not offering any solution, they're just focusing on the problem at hand, and just talking about how bad it is. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's just, you have a problem, you solve it fast, you just forget about it quickly, you learn from it and that's it, you just move on. Uh, But you just never dwell on it as like, oh, you did something wrong. So um, yeah, those are like the four things that come into my mind the fastest, yeah. Back to
1: the kind of chronology then, back to uh, that first step into events management. What was that transition between having your business and? being on the student council and then sort of moving into more recent years of stepping into the world of events management.
0: It all came back from a really small thing. I used to dance quite a lot in my life. So being on the stage was quite, quite usual to me. Uh, We did a lot of like dance competitions, dance dance battling and all of that. And that's where I basically first saw events. Uh, That's, that's how I got into them. And then when I started uh, organizing the events at my, at my high school, It's legit a high school known for good events there. And I've got to manage like a whole events portfolio for like 30 events per year. Uh, So we would just be putting on events left and right. That was like my first event sponsorship opportunities. Those those sponsorship opportunities were like crazy small. Like we get like a table football, um, like rental for a day. And that would be like extremely big for us. Um, but then we realized that we could just do collaborations with other schools. We, we got into bigger events with that. We basically had like a collab with three different schools during a whole night event. So like we, we had a full on school that was rented out to us for a whole night and we, we could just do whatever we wanted. We had concerts in there. We had uh, sporting competitions in there. We had, I don't know, workshops for dancing, acting, all of that. It was a lovely, lovely start to the events, the events that I was doing. And then I started volunteering quite a lot in conferences, uh, specifically in um, leadership conferences, mostly. Uh, those are the ones that I spend most of my time in um, tech conferences as well, like startup funding rounds, similar things to that, and I would legit just volunteer there with smaller positions possible, as would be opening the doors and smiling at people um, like hospitality completely, uh, then I don't know, food and beverage, then holding the mics up when the speakers need to come and speak. Uh, that's how it started. Um, and that's where my love for events actually came came from. Afterwards, I just basically tried getting into uh, my first paid opportunities. It started with culinary events, which is weird as hell when I think about it. Uh, that's a really quick story as well about that. It was a massive leadership conference, and this guy was always talking about how volunteering led him to, like, all of his work opportunities and all of that. He's like a world-class chef right now. And I was like, you know what? We had like time for one question from the audience. And I just stood up, like physically stood up, not my hand. I just legit stood up and he was just like, okay, what's your question? I'm like, look, you've talked about volunteering and all of that. Can I volunteer at your restaurants just just to like try and and get that experience that I want? Because I was really passionate about cooking at that point. And then he says, I'm a business like I'm a business owner. I just don't do volunteering. Come and work for me. And that was like the first contract that I've landed. It was just legit culinary events, like workshop classes pretty much, where people would come together with their um, colleagues and all of that, uh, learn how to cook an octopus and just have a nice dinner in the evening. That's it. That's all how it started. I would just work in the kitchen, try and help out with the event delivery and all of that. And that's it. Uh, That that was like my first paid gig in events uh, in general. Yeah. It gives you an appreciation
1: the volunteers first of all, but also means that when you do step into roles of leadership, as we as we've discussed, you actually understand and can relate with all of the people underneath you because you've been there. So you spend a little bit of time kind of working then uh, for this Connery business. Is there anything else in that time frame that is important to
0: understand? I don't know. I feel like I've done my first couple of internships afterwards uh, with like admin event kind of companies, but nothing nothing too major. Um, but on the side, I was just like, I need to do something with events. I just wanted to do something with events, and I was like, okay, my first own festival sounds extremely good. But don't get me wrong, I've never been to a festival by that point, like legit, or maybe one only in my life. And I've got a team of the same, the same team that we would use to work on the um, school events with, uh, just from one of the collaborations that we did before. And I started speaking to them about this idea. Yeah, we're gonna hire a ma- like a massive venue for two and a half thousand people. Uh, we're gonna put on this gig first in in like like legit, just first time occurrence. And yeah, we got our financial sponsors. Actually, I'm very very proud of them. Uh, we got all the funding needed. Like we legit saved up, all pulled our money uh, a bit. And yeah, the project was on the way. We had bands booked. We we basically had speakers as well lined up and all of that. And then COVID hit um, good like three months, two months before that. And uh, yeah, we had to completely cancel this thing. That was possibly the first like really hard learning for me that how hard it was to close a project down. Because at that point, we had around 30 people involved and around a year spent on planning it. Um, yeah, so that hit like extremely hard. Um but we, we managed to switch to virtual events. Um, I continued working on virtual events. I was not made redundant in, in my, uh, like in 2020. That was like a massive blessing as well. Um, but yeah, I've learned to, to work on virtual events and I've learned how to say no to massive projects and when they fail. Um, yeah, I don't know, that was, that was the saddest moment of my life, I would say. But yeah, that happened. And when I look at it back right now, it was such a good thing that it closed down Because we were so naive, so naive of many things we did not take into account. Health and safety wasn't the thing for us. We did not know that that existed. We did not plan for toilets in the event, legit. Like, we wouldn't have really overflown the the whole infrastructure we had. Uh, We did not think about crowd safety at all. Um, Yeah, fire exits. I don't know. Like, those things were completely out of the window. Like, that wasn't our scope of planning. Uh, we were just like, oh, there's a venue, they should take care of that, right? That definitely doesn't work that way. Uh, and that's why I'm happy that I studied events management, and that's why I got involved with the bigger events, um, to basically learn that my idea was extremely bad at that point, like it wouldn't have worked out, we wouldn't have sold out the tickets, I did not realize how hard it was to sell tickets out as well. Um, but yeah, I was just driven by the first like initial uh, interest that we had, because I've sent out this questionnaire about our event, like that was my approach to sponsors as well, that we've sent a questionnaire asking young people whether this event should exist, whether they're missing like, um, opportunities like extracurriculum opportunities, because the festival was all about that, like you legit would turn up to a festival, you would see all of the extracurricular activities poten- uh, potentially possible in your city. Uh, you would meet the actual people already doing that activity for them to represent it to you and basically just get you to sign up. That's it. That's as simple as that. Uh, Lined up with um, artists, speakers, and like all this uh, other workshop stuff and all that. So yeah, we we sent the questionnaire out. And we were like, let's try and get it to like 100. And we got it to 1000 responses in like, I don't know, half a month or a month, maybe. And that was like our main, main, selling point to, to, to sponsors, because we're like, look, we have this data from a 1000 organic respondents that said that they need this event to exist, they, they have extra time to, to spend on the day and all of that. And that they're interested in extra curriculum. That's how we attract the sponsors, uh, first of all. And yeah, but apart from that, the planning was completely horrendous. Like it was awful. Like we did not realize so many things. And I guess at the end of the day, COVID actually saved my money. Because that was like my life savings on the line completely. I wouldn't have been able to study in the UK if I did not like if I did that and all that. So I don't know. It would have been an interesting thing to see how it would have unveiled, but um, that's definitely not happening anymore. So,
1: as with any project that any of us set up or anything that we do external to ourselves, where we get uh, praise or validation, or when things go wrong, it goes bad. Is how we attach our identity to things outside of ourselves. And so did you think that uh, during that process, you very much attached your identity to this event as this is, this is part of you. And if it goes well, it's it's a reflection on you. And if it goes badly, it's a poor reflection on you. And did you see that that identity attachment was then better after it got canceled, as in like for projects after that, you were able to separate yourself more?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have actually had like a massive identity crisis after that project like, got cancelled and my other things got cancelled as well, um, I always used to attach myself to the work that I'm doing. Like Constantly, I was very much chasing roles. I wanted to be the festival organizer. I wanted to be, I don't know, a marketing manager at that company and all of that. It all legit made my identity fully. And one thing that happened to me after, before moving to the UK was I had to cancel everything that I was doing. Like I had to stop everything because it was very much in person. and. I finished my high school, first of all, Um, I finished my two part time jobs, I canceled this project. And then I basically sat down, I wasn't even a part of any sporting teams, since I used to do sports my whole life. That was the only period that I didn't do any sports. So when I sat down, I had a massive crisis because I was just like, Look, I'm nobody by this point. Like I don't have any communities to associate myself with, I don't have any roles to associate myself with. And that's when it very much hit me that that was very toxic. What I was doing, just like trying to only have work speak for you and nothing else. Um, yeah. So after that massive uh, concern of being a nobody for like a good I don't know month or so. Was
1: that during um, lockdown?
0: Well? Yeah, 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 that was just before coming to the UK. So like three years ago, roughly. Yeah, that was that was end of twenty twenty. I would say yeah. Um, that's when it hit me that I basically needed to start doing something um, more internally, trying to basically become a stronger person from within. And that's when I started doing therapy. Um, yeah, legit, this this whole identity crisis led me to do therapy quite a lot. And yeah, it did help very, very much to separate myself from the work that I'm doing, yeah. Not going like super in detail,
1: obviously, because it's a very personal thing, but i interested to hear the main things you took from that therapy, because it's not a problem exclusive to Yourself, I mean, a lot of people struggle, especially in this time of life, with identity uh, and where they place their identity. So how were they able to kind of ground you and what, what did you learn from that process?
0: The best learning that I've definitely taken from it was that every single choice has a sacrifice price. So, for example, if you decide to, I don't know, go into events management and like chase the massive, like being the best at it and all of that, um, there are sacrifices that you will need to make. You will not see your like your partner or your friends so much. You will definitely take a toll on your mental health, physical health. Uh, you will very likely not be that happy and all of that. So just, that's just one of the examples. And that every uh, single choice has a sacrifice price, pretty much. That, that's how I would take it from, from the therapy that I've done. Um, that just comes to your financial goals. That comes to like traveling goals, whatever whatever you set out to do, um, there's always a price you you'll have to pay for that and it's just the question if you're willing to do it uh, For me, for example, I was always doing fitness and I never got to having a six-pack and all of that and then my like therapist was just like you're not willing to pay the price And as as cliche as that sounds, it just completely clicked to me that that made sense. He was just like, look if I had a dream to buy a specific car, if that was like my dream, I would have to work like, I don't know, 60 hour uh, weeks and all of that just to get enough money. That means I would sacrifice taking my uh, like time with my child, taking time with my partner, um, not having enough time for myself and all that. And then it all clicked to me. I was just like, okay, so all after that, I've started setting goals that were mindful of the sacrifices that will need to come with it. And um, yeah, so that 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 did definitely helped me balance things better and apart from that, it's it's mostly just working on relationships as well um, and relationships are pretty much the same thing. Um, you're simply work, you need to put time into them, uh, they don't work out if you just randomly decide to catch up with people um, half a year later. Um, it is hard work and not a lot of us at, at this age realize that, um, that it takes like, constant investment into people around you to to build something meaningful and, and to be vulnerable with them as well um, it takes time it takes courage it takes um uh, intent as well um so yeah those were my main main things i would say from that I've taken that's
1: super valuable uh thanks for sharing as well I think the kind of whole thing surrounding the fact that you make this is it's the idea of opportunity cost in economics yeah it's like anything that you do means that you're choosing not to do something else so with that limited time you have to be uh, careful and mindful with what you do and of course if you place your identity in, and also you almost make something your god and you purely focus on that one thing you've got to realize that like you mentioned that the balance gets thrown out the window and, and balance is something that i want to talk about a little bit later on in the podcast as well because you know you come through to like summer 2020 where you're doing so many events and things but given this new information i'd be interested to hear uh, where you're at with that but before we before we go on to that i want to talk about the transition over to the uk so you moved to the uk for uni you said that uni wasn't the decision that you initially were going to take so was that cancellation of the event made you realize that you would go then to the UK and and then what what was the initial months like in the UK as well?
0: Yeah, I I mean, my decision to come to the UK and study was mostly based on the idea that I just did a lot of challenging work. I've I've taken a lot of um, challenging projects like part-time work and all of that with companies that did not treat me as as, as like a high schooler, they treated me as like an equal and I completely respect that for them. but for me, it was a, like a really steep learning curve. And when I finished with that, with those contracts, like a year after, I realized that I lacked knowledge. And that's when I realized that I needed to go to uni. Uh, what I was lacking was theory, basically. I, I could definitely work out the practical side of it, like in a hard way, definitely like taking twice as time as, as anybody else would uh, for an adult. But I just needed to uh, get the theory. I just was really, really theory hungry for some reason. And that's why I wanted to go to uni. And I afterwards realized that that was a great choice for me because, um, if you wanted to organize weddings, that's absolutely fine. You don't need a degree for that. Um, in my opinion, you can just work it out in practice and all of that. If you want to organize the biggest events in the world, well, it's pretty hard to get practice in them and just learn how to do it the best. If you want to do olympics if you want to do major festivals you need a degree in my opinion because if you fail for example let's just let's just say it if you study arts right and you do a painting it's nice it takes you five hours then your cat scratches it in the middle of it it's ruined you'll need to throw it out right that's the only damage done to you like legit you're losing a bit of resources you're losing a bit of your time a bit of your love that's it that's that's all you lose if you have an event of one hundred fifty thousand people in it and you fail crowd management, well, there's quite a few things that will happen. First of all, you will go to jail. That's one thing that definitely will happen. People will very likely die in that festival. And um, that brand that you organized the event for is gonna go down massively. Like nobody's gonna attend the events anymore because of all the negative uh, media coverage. Um, It's gonna do extreme like financial damages to to the company and even the local area maybe uh, if if the event gets canceled long-term and all of that. So when that hit me, I was just like, shit, okay, that is a thing that's actually pretty hard to to work out nicely. That's why I needed to to have a degree. Um, Yeah, and and in my opinion, that's definitely helping me set the right mindset. The degree might not be ideally that practical as I would wish it to be. But it's definitely opening my mind up to to be able to comprehend the complexity of these uh, major, major uh, festivals and events. Um, Yeah, and those few couple of months uh, moving into the UK were possibly the loneliest ever. I'm very happy that I had my partner with me. But having that uh, crisis before that, before moving in, I wasn't the most confident or outgoing or social person ever. Uh, I just wanted to stay inside, didn't want to socialize that much, like in freshers and all of that, especially with COVID as well. That was scary stuff as well. Uh, just to be able to uh, arrive in the new country when it's all in lockdown, um, yeah. So those were the loneliest ones, I would say.
1: How did you come out of that? And just something i thought of on the spot: when didn't you say you were part of the the boat club at Surrey, or was this later on?
0: That's exactly your reply to how it got out of loneliness. Oh, right. uh, that was just joining joining the boat uh, boat club, uh, the rowing uh, club in in our uni. Um, yeah, and that was. Um, it basically was the most intense nine months of training in, in my life, I would say. So we switched from being lonely to being tired. Um <laughs> that was my coping, coping mechanism, I could say. Um yeah, and those were really, really lovely months. Uh I got back into shape after after COVID with that. Uh that basically le- like got me back again to, to feeling more confident. I started doing uh remote work as well, just to be more flexible with all the events happening. So I switched to virtual events uh, at that point specifically. And then, yeah, it was it was smooth sailing afterwards. Um, I don't know, I got involved with the students union, got involved with quite a few things uh, around uni. I'm, I'm actually really grateful for uh, the lectures that I had those those opened up a lot of my uh, work opportunities that I've done over the last two and a half years. And yeah, so started with with virtual events. Uh, Boating club, and then moved into uh, doing in-person events and, and all of that uh, on the side of the studies. Yeah. And
1: that exactly leads to the importance of a network, right? You know, you can do all these things on your own. You can stand up spontaneously and get that opportunity uh, back at the culinary uh, kind of culinary yeah. place earlier. But also then moving to the UK with the expanse of opportunity with the networks, because your lecturers obviously if they're lecturing in events or hospitality or whatever yeah. they they're going to have tons of industry connections which is which is there for the taking and I'm surprised more people don't make the more oh, use absolutely. of it and I, yeah. it's something that I've I, I didn't take advantage of when I was younger but definitely since university you know get it, developing more of a personal relationship with your mentors and and and, and tutors and the lecturers of course themselves because they are experts in their field. They've done it all before and they know everyone who they study for And they might conduct surveys for the biggest, biggest, uh, you know, companies in, in the world on this topic, which then they could put you in touch. So I think it's such an, it's such an unspoken thing about university. I think people go to university for two reasons, you know, the, the education, well, maybe three reasons, education, friends, and partying. And no one ever really talks about the fact that it's just an opportunity to network because you yeah. just have all of these professors who have so many connections in, the, in out in the real world that I think is is another real big selling point of university. So it's interesting that you were able to really tap into that there.
0: And oh, so, absolutely! Like even talking with the lecturers one to one and all of that, they say like they're so they're like they're just missing students coming to their like one on one consultations because like they're there for you to use and nobody seems to be using them. And after, like, nearly graduating right now, like, I'm graduating in half a year, I feel like I definitely did not make most out of it. I mean, I could definitely have gone even further down and, and basically made those, more, more of those connections. And I wonder how much of that is due to, because of the lockdowns
1: and lack of social interaction, and now we have super high levels of social anxiety and depression and people not knowing how to interact with each other. And they feel embarrassed, and you know they're always on their phones, and kind of. I wonder how much of that whole sort of storm is really affecting people's confidence to go out and take those opportunities. And in a way, you could argue that it's it's good for people like you or I because there's you know less less competition. But I think that's certainly not how I would how I would want to look at things. You know, I yeah. don't I don't think it's a zero sum game. I think if you can share this stuff with people I mean I'm doing a podcast so clearly I'm not trying to keep it to myself Uh, but I think it's one of those things that's really sad to see and I think you know what All, all props to you for for going for those opportunities but I would encourage anyone listening if they are at university or even if they've just started their career at work or even even if one of the people listening to this is a cyclist I used to ride with who is in their mid 40s or 50s but it's just thinking about the amount of opportunities are there if you just have the confidence and don't lack that embarrassment and just go for the opportunity. So yeah, yeah. Um, without taking it too much on a tangent, I think I, I just wanted to highlight there. So then you came through to last year, 2022. Where, what led you towards TEDx, and then what what was this, what was it like trying to get that back off of its feet? Because it was kind of dead after the pandemic, wasn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um... So it's been like a long-term project. It started in two thousand fourteen uh, as like a project that that was going on um, with other people organizing it. And then I've watched ten x like TED Talks my whole life, pretty much. Uh, like from I don't know, starting from when I was twelve, I started listening to these like TED Talks shirts shorts or something like a podcast format, um, and that just got me like extremely hooked on it. Like seven minutes, you get a new topic, you get like massively massively excited about this topic in in that short period of time i don't know whatever that is saving turtles um i don't know how artificial lights uh impact space research and all that like you get these random random topics that i can still remember until this day and i don't know it's just a conversation starter um you you listen to these things you expand your knowledge a tiny bit at a time and i was always passionate about how clearly these people stated their um Ideas in such a short period of time. That was the thing that always attracted me to TEDx. And as an events manager, I was just like, yeah, I always wanted to do that. Um, it's a volunteering thing. It's possibly one of the last couple of years that I will want to do volunteering things, like without any payment and all of that. So, yeah, I thought it was a perfect opportunity for me to also legitimize myself as an event manager because it's a project where you take everything from the start to the finish uh, by yourself. Uh, Like with a team, of course, but you lead the way for the whole process. Because in a lot of my employment, I used to just do parts of the project. For example, even if it was ticket sales or organizing the actual um, event, but not executing it. Like you always work on a specific part rather than doing the whole thing from start to finish and having full ownership of it. So it was a way for me to legitimize myself, like prove myself to myself that I was able to do what it takes uh, from from start to finish. Yeah. So those were the main reasons why. Um, it made me more confident in that I can um, have a full ownership of a project for sure.
1: And I think, you know, alongside that, it's also then being able to say, I mean, a bit like having a, a little bachelor of whatever at the end of your name, you yeah. can also then say, because again, everyone's heard of the brand TEDx, you can say that you've had on you've created this whole TEDx event and you can attach yourself to that. And as much as we talked earlier about not attaching yourself to the identity of the things that you you do and looking internally, I think from an employer's perspective and also just one of those things that you can internally recognize as being you can look back and you go, you know when I did that 10 years ago, that was really cool. You know, it's just like being able to take that on with with the risk involved and with the the fact that you're trying to do a degree alongside it, you know, it's not part of the degree. It was purely like a, a voluntary thing, as you've mentioned. Um, yeah. what, were the, what were the biggest challenges that you faced during TEDx that you didn't expect to come up?
0: Um, financial challenges, which I thought it was um, completely like free to put on an event on an event campus, like on a university campus. And sadly, that wasn't the case. Uh, we ended up spending like three and a half grand for an event to, to be put on. Um, of course, we, we were able to break even and all of that. That was that was fine. But it's still it, it was insane to me that a university event could cost three and a half grand. That was a bit of a reality check, you know, even not having staff that you need to pay for it. That was uh, that was interesting how much just the resources would cost uh, for the staging equipment for putting everything up for marketing for printing posters and all of that. I know maybe it wasn't the most um, smart planned event financially. We could have done uh, we could have done it cheaper if we had more time to plan for it, but since it was such a short um, time squeeze, we we had to make some cuts and all that. So yeah, um, either way, uh, I was proud of the project. Uh, we're still taking it on this year. Uh, we'll see if I'm still leading it or if, if we're having other people delete it, but it's still going on this year as well. So you could say that longevity is there, um, but. Um, yeah, and and when you mentioned uh, the brands being able to recognize it, yeah, absolutely, that's the case. Because for me, having my CV filled with a lot of things that I'm proud of and and that are great, but that are Lithuanian, are definitely not doing me any good in the UK. Uh, because being pretty honest, I feel like a lot of uh, people here are pretty nationalist, um, like that they really take pride in the in their own country. Uh, but at the same time, they just sometimes don't value the experiences from elsewhere as much, sadly. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a tiny bit of a thing that I that, that's a really nice branding opportunity for me as well, uh, for my personal brand to basically say, yeah, even though I did a lot of things in Lithuania, that's a global brand that I can associate myself with, and you definitely know where it's coming from. So, yeah.
1: It's not everything. It's interesting that, isn't it? It's not something that I've obviously put that much thought into because I've never had to but that's a super interesting thing to try and tackle is that under we talk about it a lot i mean i hear a lot of the conversation about this this america being like overtly i don't know racist or prejudiced and then the kind of british culture of being it's, it's not it's not very obvious but it's all sort of subtle and, I, and i'm not saying i'm not saying it's racism here but certainly that kind of Underlying prejudice towards like people who aren't British, which is obviously fueled through the the media and and whatever like stereotypes. But it's a shame that that is that would still be a barrier from holding someone like yourself back. That you have to go the extra mile and kind of prove yourself with a with a British thing. And obviously that's a good thing to do anyway. But potentially more needs to be done in that area of like look <laughs> like there's, there's literally. No, there's there's no difference between if I'd got all the experience doing the similar thing to you here and in fact, it's probably more a testament to your hard work that you were doing it in Lithuania and then had the had the kind of drive to move to the u k and pay and study I think that's that shows far more that you are care and investment invested into it so.
0: I would say there's definitely two perspectives uh, I've definitely met employers that were like very eager to hire people that had an international uh, approach to things, they were they saw it as like an opportunity. They saw it as a benefit that you've worked in different countries. That's you very hit, true actually. You witness know. different cultures and all of that. Uh, but for others, I understand their point as well. Like for more local companies and all of that, you, they realize that you haven't done it in terms of how they, how they're done here. Like you haven't noticed how uh, legislation works here, for example. You don't know how licensing works here in events, for example, specifically, uh, if you worked with marketing in other countries, for example, you might be bad at the language that that like the locals communicate, you might be bad at copywriting, you might not understand how the local, um, how the locals approach ads, or or like how they understand visuals, I understand their perspective as well. Uh, but there's two uh, fonts of camp, I would say one is like loving the international approach for like bigger, more international companies. And then for more local and smaller companies, it's more like Try and prove yourself uh, in this market, and then come to us to, to basically work. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's my experience so far with international um, employment. Yeah,
1: I mean that's a great summary, and I think it makes sense as well. It's not necessarily a not necessarily a prejudicial thing, but a but a, a practicality yeah. that they are seeing and kind of identifying. And I mean maybe that does inspire you to then go and go and prove them wrong, or I guess, I guess prove them right <laughs> yeah. and, and, and be able to to work well for them. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch, uh, touch on slightly after the TEDx is the crazy summer that you had, at least from my perception, because uh, I'd go on LinkedIn and, and not that I was kind of regularly checking up on you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you were posting a lot and, you know, occasionally it would come up and you'd see you know you hover over the name and it would say five out of 11 or however many it was seven out of 11 you're doing all these events like back to back to back festivals and big events in 2022 in the summer i want to ask you like what drives you to want to do so much because there's there's a there's a point of kind of you know doing events here and there and having a nice balanced life and then there's like Going headfirst and really immersing yourself in getting as much experience as possible, and that's obviously the, the kind of step that you took. So, what what was that all about? Why, why did you want to do so much?
0: Yeah, that was that was thirteen festivals in a row. Yeah, uh, to put it uh, to like just focus on it fully. Um, and to be honest, just just like to be completely honest with you, doing a lot of festivals in a summer just means that you're working short-term projects. Uh, so it's not necessarily an impressive thing. If I was to say I've done free festivals in a summer, but I worked like a month and a half each on them, that would be a whole different story. So for me, it is just trying to break into the industry, uh, just to be completely honest. Um, I've landed a few contracts that were very, very nice and that like, I- I'm still impressed by that. I was able to lend them the like the last summer, because what happened was I had had quite a late like planning schedule because I was planning to move to the US for this year. I wanted to study there for half a year and just move back here. Uh, I canceled that plan uh, very, very late. So I only started like planning my freelance um, summer, I don't know, like a month before it started. So like, let's just say in May or something. And then I started applying massively everywhere that I could. I realized that I'm already was late to some of some of the applications, Um, but I reached out to like 25 people on LinkedIn that were like hiring for festivals and all of that. And like two of them, I think, replied uh, two out of 25 or something. And then we got into a call with them. We started talking. We, we like legit blend a role or some, and then it got canceled as well. Uh, just, just to make it a bit, even less, uh, even more tense, to be honest, um, it got canceled uh, just because of budget cuts and festivals last year. That was a massive thing. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to the things that I was doing in, in the previous years. I'm going to. Um, join a company that I was working with before. It wasn't as challenging sadly as as normally. Uh, like as I wanted to be. Uh, it was short-term contracts, not as challenging. I've already done that work before. And I randomly started manifesting like landing something bigger just randomly or was like I don't know how to reach that. like I was so lost, but I really really want it. And I'm sitting in Italy in like a youth exchange that I was like planned a few months back. Um, just a week off, I'm just like completely chilling and not thinking about work. I'm like, we're going to take care of that when I'm back. And then I get a call like in the middle of the night randomly uh, from Festival Republic, like the, the I don't know, my dream company to work for and all of that. And they're like, oh, we found your CV from one of your previous applications, like the one that got canceled. And like, we want to offer you a position starting in like four days or something. I legit packed up my bags um, and like in a few days I left came to a festival site, worked there for a month, for a full-on month, like, without stopping, no weekends, no nothing. Um, which is very toxic, by the way, uh, just, just to mention that quickly. And then I realized that I got into a, a bit of a inner circle um, that, that was hiring quite a lot for festivals. I started talking to the people that were working on that festival, like, if there were any opportunities afterwards. And just one, one thing left, led to another. And it just started getting like uh, two week long contracts or one week long contracts in different parts of the city. Uh, I've got to travel quite a lot uh, around the UK. Uh, I've done one in Belgium as well. It was a pretty, pretty nice, uh, nice summer with that. And yeah, if I was to do it again, for sure, I would definitely focus on doing a bit more long term projects. So like a month for one project would be really nice. Because you can definitely get the feel of it you can um make a real impact on it and all of that so even though the numbers sound good i understand that it was a really nice branding way for me as well uh, just to to be able to uh, stop by an employer and say look all these festivals that are the biggest ones in the uk i worked on them i know their teams and all of that um that's like another selling point of mine currently when i'm applying to jobs um yeah it, it was definitely a branding opportunity for me again, but just wanted to not make it massive and grand, but that, that it was just a, a lot of short-term things, yeah. It's actually funny the parallels
1: there I can draw between that approach and that balance and the podcast and the guests that I have on. And I just want to talk about this very briefly because it's, it's funny, kind of a light bulb moment. Yeah. So for yourself, with your career, you obviously, well, we talk about what you want to go on to do, but you're obviously looking to get into that whole space. And there's two things that you want to do. You want to both evidence and sort of marker that you've got all this experience and wisdom. So you've got, you can tick off every single big festival, you can tick off that you've done a TEDx. And even though those things are great, doing all those festivals doesn't necessarily give you the best experience.
0: Yeah.
1: And you could get better experience from doing a lesser known, something with less hype around it that people yeah. don't really know about but is really challenging and actually gives you way more experience and wisdom that actually would be yeah, will be course. better and it's yeah. like you need both and i think it's super interesting because when i'm kind of looking at the guests that i've had on and the guests that i want to have on it's a mixture of people who i'm and i, I don't know you know i'm not naming names but like it's a mixture of people who i really want to understand and like i'm super interested in and i want to Explore. I would put, probably put this episode into that category, you know, because it's like it's something that I've I've come across to you. I found you are a really interesting and fascinating individual, and I think we share some common ground with the work ethic. Yeah. But I see you as doing all this stuff. I wanted to know more. But also, then there are some times where I go, that person would be interesting to talk to. But probably the main reason why I'm doing it is because it, it signals off that there's someone that people know. Yeah. So people when they look at the podcast, they say oh, he's had that guy on and that guy has 200,000 subscribers or whatever. And it's kind of like, even though that might not be as meaningful or as significant as a personal conversation for me, I recognize I need both to be able to grow and be able to develop myself in this way. And I think, sorry, I just had a light bulb moment on the the screen. I absolutely agree with that.
0: Which is exactly the same. I'm very happy that we're both transparent about it as well that I mean we both realized that I don't know taking on a 5,000 people festival and like owning all of the operations would definitely be a better learning experience than Jumping for so many of the major festivals and and trying to like get a feel for their cuisine Let's just say like for their internal workings and all that. I completely agree, but for me i feel like it's an easier way in if you have all of these big names to support you uh just later on going to something more in depth uh when when you actually want to do that um yeah so so for me it's just and i don't know uh, this summer as well i kind of realized that i was very much putting all of my uh all of my capacity in as well because I've got thrown into so many different things that I wasn't prepared for completely, like not gonna lie, just needed to realize that, like to figure them out just on the the go, just like work it out uh, on on the way and that's it.
1: In the same way that even though a guest
0: might not be exactly
1: the best guest that I would want to have on from my own curiosity, they still have a great story. It's like an event is still gonna be super, important and teach you a lot even if it isn't quite as good as you know doing the, these other projects yeah. it's like it's, it's still doing it's, it's not just one or the other you know? it's not binary yeah. you know it's 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 providing you with both but um and, I, and it's certainly something that I uh, something that I speak to a fellow podcaster and friend my friend David McIntosh about this um check out his podcast if you if you had not heard of it uh, development by David but he talks about perceived performance versus real performance. Yeah. And of course, you've got to have something to back it up. You can't just have all these fancy things in a CV. And as soon as you sit down at the interview, you got you got no nothing behind you. Yeah. But at the same time, that perceived performance is super interesting, like how I make the thumbnails look and present the podcast as being more professional than it actually is, as I'm here recording with OBS and on Google <laughs> Meets, you know, like, it. Yeah. it, it, it it's, 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 it's having something that does look really good but also being able to back it up and i think yeah. that's a clear example there on this kind of whirlwind of all these different festivals and things that are going on how do you find the balance with sort of your sleep your nutrition your training
0: again i feel like it was opportunity cost, sadly um so you had to sacrifice quite a few things to, to make that work out uh because just to be very transparent about it. Yeah, festivals are very, very long hours, especially if you're just starting out trying to get your foot in the door. Uh, It can be anywhere from like 12 to 14 hour days. Um, That's yeah, that's insane. And that's that might be like 30 days in a row, like not not like having weekends off and all of that. Uh, When it's crunch time, it's crunch time. And I mean, if you're one of the like, I don't know, five or 10 people that you know that the event is not going to go ahead tomorrow, if you don't put in that last piece of work, then it is a big motivation to actually stay in and, and do that. Like you see a lot of um, real reason why you should stay and, and do the, the do your work, you know? So uh, I understand that's not sustainable and that's absolutely not uh, the best way to go. But for the first couple of seasons, when you want to prove yourself to somebody, I feel like that like very, very typical mindset, grindset type of a thing is, is a pretty common concept. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Nutrition in some festivals, by the way, just not not promoting um, overworking yourself and going to to the world of festivals or events. It's pretty decent, like it's very like proper meals and all of that. Um, depends, of course, on the organization, and all of that, on the catering companies that are involved. Uh, but for food, that was never a problem. Like taking care of proper nutrition was never a problem. Um, sleep and doing enough uh, sports was definitely a problem. Um, I would always like try to. I don't know, mitigate the problem by saying, Oh, I walked like 20 kilometers each day. Like I'm still doing cardio quite a lot. Um, it's still like, I'm getting a bit of activity in every way, but going to the gym or like actually doing some proper exercise was definitely not, uh, working out not only because I did not have time but they just simply did not have energy after all these hours working um i know these sound like excuses you've been doing training i don't know for endless years and and you know how it works when you want to do something you can definitely work it out uh but that at that point my main um my main focus was on work and just making that work out and i wouldn't say that i regret it at all Uh, i mean i basically afterwards after the crazy run finished got back into regular fitness um because i've been doing sports my whole life as well so i do have like those basically foundations, like really, really quality foundations. My body just is not used to not doing sports. So whenever I go with like a month without doing any physical activity that's in the gym or, I don't know, or running, doing boxing or whatever else, I basically just, something clicks in my mind and I'm like, yes, you need to go. Like, that's that's just like an indicator that something's going wrong with life. So, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to back, like um, balance it uh, back to normal afterwards. But it is, it is a big stretch, both in mental health, physical health, uh, because you get to deal with very high-stress situations constantly, uh, at least from my perspective. Maybe those are just a few festivals that I've been involved with, but I definitely felt that sometimes I was even incapable of, of actually dealing with some stuff. So, yeah.
1: I think it very much has reminded me that Sometimes I think we we, we get caught up in in the corporate world or especially I see a lot of the posts on LinkedIn. You see this kind of general lean towards, I don't know, the four-day working week or more flexible hours or more ethical, sustainable business practices and all these sort of like nice things that that people can talk about, about prioritizing your sleep and nutrition and the fact that you can't perform your best if you aren't well-fueled as a baseline. But you can't just apply that to every role everywhere because there are certain roles and necessary roles where, as you've mentioned, it could be, you know, 11 p.m. at night and the festival starts the next morning and you just have to do that thing. Like there's literally no other way. Otherwise, the lights don't turn off in the morning or, you know, the, the, the mics aren't set up correctly. So... You know, whatever it might be. I mean, I have, I have no idea. I've, I've never, never been on the ground um, working mm. in that context. But I think it's definitely having an appreciation that that isn't always the case. And exactly as you've kind of echoed there, yeah. that opportunity cost. Um, and the fact that you can you can also... The thing that I, I kind of recently discovered as well is I was kind of out of action with a lot of my sports for the last few months, trying to get back into things now as I've moved home and trying to balance full-time work with podcasting with training and it is just a case of what you prioritize and trying to make it all work and sustainable Um, but I think it's really interesting that you mentioned there that because you've had that great foundation you're able to uh, kind of bounce back the muscle memory kind of get back into habits and you can yeah. just focus on one thing at a time, and you don't always have to be doing everything at once. Yeah. At less capacity, you know, you you can give a hundred and zero, and then you can give a hundred and zero. It's not always yeah. about having that perfect balance, which I think, you know, it's such a topic of conversation, isn't it? It's like, oh, balance, balance, balance. Yeah. It's like maybe sometimes you should just throw balance out the window and do thirteen festivals in a row because you're never gonna get that opportunity again, right? Kay. So, yeah, but at the same
0: time, it's definitely not a justification for oh, like sure. events to to basically load that much workload on on people. That's very true. It is definitely just comes from poor management. To be completely honest, like if you do plan your time wisely, uh, and don't get me wrong, like those long hour days are simply the result of COVID. Um, I'm just going to be very honest because with all the budget cuts happening, uh, the most the festival spend on is legit staff. And what's the best way to save on staff is to save on the time that needs to be like executed. So you just basically try and squeeze in everything instead of like a month and a half, you squeeze it in a month and then everything goes to complete chaos. Everything still gets done, but then everybody gets very overworked. And then there's a really big um, turnover of staff constantly. So you never work for the same people because people leave constantly. Uh, COVID as well got such a massive impact on, on like events and festivals just because people uh, went into different industries and right now uh, there's a massive shortage of people as well. So yeah, it's, it's just pretty insane to be honest uh, with how many people are actually under-trained to do the uh, things that, that they're supposed to do because they're very young, they're out of uni as myself for example uh, and you don't get proper training as well because the people, the like the old ones, uh, left during COVID. They did not leave any know hows because that's not how events are done. Like not in the corporate world as well. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of, I don't know, knowledge gaps as well in the industry. Uh, staff shortages constantly. Um, it's not not as beautiful of an industry as as it normally looks like from the outside. Um, and yeah, there's very, very many bad things that happen in the uh, like background that nobody gets to see, uh, like backstage and all that. So, yeah. You then kind of took to LinkedIn and,
1: and wanted to, to share quite regularly what you were doing, how you were feeling, the lessons you were learning. I mean, we, we mentioned it earlier that I kind of saw a few of those posts and, and checked out. Yeah. What led you to want to start sharing your experiences and growing your personal
0: brand? For me, I always sucked at Instagram, like I just could never work it out. And I wanted the medium to express myself somehow. I have definitely been focusing on copywriting for a long time with digital marketing and and events in general going on the side. I always focused on that. And I was like, okay, text is a thing that I definitely love expressing myself in. And I wanted some disciplined thing, just like a, a way of a medium to express myself, found an accountability buddy as well. Uh, that wanted to do a similar thing, just post weekly content on LinkedIn and started from there. Um, I started getting some feedback uh, from people, like even though it was very rare, like I'm not saying everybody told me that the content was great, but let's just say three or four people reached out over the span of half a year and said, oh, I found this content useful. Like I find this actually, like I read this constantly. I follow you for that specific reason. And this is giving me benefit in life and i was like holy shit yeah if if that is worth somebody's time if somebody's actually reading it engagement showing that as well i was like okay this is a, a thing that i'm going to continue um and also another thing another interesting thing i believe that linkedin is going to be a platform that's going to be uh like a second like a focus for influencers as well it's going to be a really really niche uh platform but i believe that it is in the golden age right now like it is like Taking off very very constantly, um, the user base is growing. Uh, people are finally starting to understand it as a social network rather than a, a job hunting network. That's very um, true. I think
1: we've just passed a billion users. I saw some some post.
0: On. Yeah, it's insane stuff. Like, and people will be trying to shape their professional brands constantly. Like, it, it's a it's a big thing, especially in the digital age. So for me. One thing is I'm trying to position myself as a successful um, candidate for job roles, being so young and still being a student and all of that. I want to maximize my opportunities, like, my yeah, just to, like, uh, optimize my opportunities to get into different roles. But as well, I want to be able to be, like, to have a medium where I can influence people um, and all of that to basically just share my knowledge and all of that. I don't know maybe that will lead to some consulting uh later in in like later on that's like one of the things that i would definitely want to um focus on in in later days whether it's like uh coaching um consulting or whatever it is like related to events that's an opportunity that could grow out of it uh it would just be a a, re, a direct result out of it yeah
1: i think it's Super powerful. Being able to look back as well and and see what you posted six months ago and learn in public. I mean, part of the reason for this podcast is learning in public. Part of the reason why you'd want to share anything in in public is is because you learn and so do other people (laughs) rather than keeping it all to yourself. And I think it benefits both of you because, as you say, you can go and share and build that platform and then people can get real value from, from what you have to say. And I like the the way you worded that as well, with with positioning yourself. But uh, you could also argue, you know, you're positioning yourself as an authority, speaking on the things that you have most experience in. And I think a lot of people. I don't know if you follow people like uh, Dan Coe or Justin Welsh. I don't know if there's, those names. Yeah, are yeah, those those ring a bell. Yeah. Um, but there are people in this space who promote a personal brand and the use of becoming a thought leader and using your unique experience and just and just sharing and all that real boys boils down to is doing cool stuff and having copywriting skills yeah and i think i mean you said you worked on the copyright skills very briefly how, how did you do that because i think that's super interesting and something that i'm trying to work on and just being able to like articulate yourself so yeah what how did you do that copywriting
0: on Uh, Yes. First of all, it started from like all the side things that were going on. So the uh, landscaping business, uh, we needed marketing content for that. So I would constantly post on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook was still a thing Um, in that specific target audience. Um, And then I did quite a lot of digital marketing on the side as well for events, like for different events that we would do. So that was always um, posting something on social media, uh, just casually. Uh, afterwards, it was running uh, Instagram accounts for, for, for brands, for events as well. And afterwards, one of my roles in uh, like during lockdown was actually uh, working as a digital manager for one, not the digital marketing manager, but just in the marketing team, uh, writing all of the internal copies, we've counted them, and I feel like it's around 450 in app copies that we wrote. So like with the team. So that was just like crafting everything that you scroll through in the app, everything from a settings box to like actually the content that you see. Um, And then we would have to create UGC content to get the platform going, you know, because what does a social media platform need the most when it starts off? It's just organic content. So legit, my full-time job or part-time job just became posting like constantly. Um, Even though it wasn't LinkedIn, it wasn't something like that. um, I still did that. And um, one of my last uh, jobs was just legit copywriting for uh, a, an ads company. So that that also helped to try and sell this uh, idea of, of copywriting. Um, yeah, so mo- most of these things kind of joined into this, um, I don't know, not very tidy ball of, of experiences. And that's that's how LinkedIn came together uh, for me. Um, and another thing is why I started LinkedIn was because I realized that the only difference between the me and people that I was looking up to was that I never documented what I did. And all of these like really, really interesting looking stories on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, was just people posting pictures of the things that they were doing and adding something to it. And I was like, I've done the same things I've just never written about them. like. I'm, I'm, I'm living the same life, but my life seems 10 times like more boring just because I don't know how to communicate that well. And I'm not saying that communicating makes your life interesting, but it makes it seem that way. Uh, that's that's one thing. I'm not saying that that's extremely health, healthy, like to base your uh, life on on like how you communicate yourself to public or to, the, to other people, but if you can, in a healthy manner learn from that experience, like documenting everything, reflecting on it, and still sharing it with other people to get them inspired, well, I don't see any problems with that at all. Like if you're doing mindfully, like if you don't focus on it just being, oh, I'm successful, I'm doing all of these things, this is going amazing, my content is never about that, it's mostly about, I've done this, I fucked up, I've learned this, Uh, this is how it worked out, or I'm doing this right now, learning these things from it. Like my perspective always on content, I have my fiance as my bullshit filter. She's always like, I I give all of my posts to read for her before I post them. And she's like, if that sounds cocky, if that sounds like I'm talking from above, she's always gonna be like, no, that's a red flag. You, you're not posting that. Like that sounds douchey. And then I changed the wording of it. I changed the idea of it and all of that just to make it sound, yeah, I'm sharing something that I'm learning right now I'm on the same path. And all of that. Um, and an interesting thing about this whole thing is that people that will consume your content are normally below you in terms of experience, normally, like your audience are the people that are looking up to you. Um, it's it's just, it's it's a given, like, none of the festival managers are reading my posts, like by their, I mean, I don't know, unless they want to relive some moments and like have this dish of a moment or whatever else. but. Normally, you just are creating content for somebody that is consuming it and that has less experience. Normally, so as you as you said, uh, positioning yourself as a thought leader or as an authority as well, it's an interesting thing to do it in a in a sustainable, healthy manner, like manner, not trying to overemphasize that you have more experience and all that. Yeah, I think.
1: There's so, many, there's, so, there's so many things I could talk about there. We, we have such limited time. I think yeah. the, the the one thing I, I love there is the fact that you said the only difference between you and the creators is the fact that they started writing about those things and you weren't. And I think that is literally all it comes down to yeah. is <clears throat> some people have the confidence to be able to share their vulnerabilities and articulate it well. And obviously there's a skill to copywriting, but also it's just getting in the reps, just posting when no one is watching and just, just going for it and having that, having that exact same attitude as you've had and, and demonstrated throughout this conversation in sort of your upbringing. It's just, just going for things and then seeing what happens afterwards. But yeah. by doing it, by setting up this podcast, episode one is going to be way worse than episode 50. But in a year's time, if I hadn't have started the podcast, I'd still be at episode one. So yeah, you've got to just position yourself into that through just getting the reps in and doing the hard work. And I think a really interesting point there is again, as you've made is the, you, you, the people that are less experienced than you are the people that are going to follow you is that's only going to increase as you gain more experience. Yeah. So as you're going through life and gaining more experience, there are still always people being born. (laughs) So as you get older, the number of people that are behind you increases yeah and so you are like it's almost a guarantee that if you diligently keep doing what you're doing and keep obviously you've got to still be doing the actual work in real life you can't just yeah you can't just that's an important thing that people
0: miss yeah yeah
1: (laughs) but but i think you know you're you're only going to that 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 interest is only going to compound it's only going to go up and up and up and up and up and uh, i think that was a really Really important sort of ten to fifteen minute discussion there on kind of copywriting and LinkedIn and sharing because it parallels so much with with what I'm interested in and what I want to sort of go into. I'm not quite at the level of LinkedIn copywriting yet, but I have started sharing the podcast and you know I, yeah. I, I love I love that kind of space and I love what you're doing and um, you did actually mention me in a post like I think a few weeks ago about you know the importance of side hustles and things and I was quite quite honored to be mentioned in that list and I think. It's it's quite clear that there is that opportunity. And for anyone listening, if you aren't creating content, then get to it because you know, there's 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 so many people. There's never what it was it people say that the market is saturated. There's too many people. It's like, no, there isn't like there's eight billion people. Like yeah. you, you can find
0: you'll you find, find people that yeah, are absolutely.
1: Follow you. Yeah. Um, you'll create it.
0: Um, And it's also so important to mention that there's different mediums as well. So, for example, for me, uh, Instagram didn't work. I'm very, very afraid to film myself for like YouTube or Instagram as well. So for me, like something 2D works ideally. Like I want some just like very, very basic form of content. Text works for me. I want to expand my like mediums as well. But there is a format that works for somebody. Like it might be, I don't know, voice memos that that you're like putting on as a podcast or it might be, I don't know, pictures constantly of of your adventures. There's so many different things you can do. Um, Yeah, it's just finding the right one. Absolutely.
1: Well, the internet's given us all these opportunities and, you know, the same way as you'd go to office hours. (laughs) It's there. (laughs) The opportunity's there. The internet is literally infinite. So um, get to it if you're listening. (laughs) One of the things that I just thought about um, as you were kind of explaining all of that, and, and it's kind of a question that has gradually formulated in my mind somewhere in the back of my head during this conversation is that you have all of these skills and all of these experiences and wisdom and, and not necessarily events management specific, but they could quite easily, you know, traits of leadership and of responsibility, time management, balance, like all the things we've discussed are... Yeah very transferable and could be transferred to jobs with potentially, I don't know, more stable and higher salaries and more balance. Yeah. And so one of the things I wanted to ask about is the fact that events management is quite a, a, a risky career path for some, like depending yeah. on what you go into. What would you say in response to that?
0: Yeah, it's definitely hard work. I will definitely agree on that. Like it's not as stable and as given as many other jobs. Uh, but for me, like seeing how every like how everything changed with Covid and that like currently, all of the tech companies are getting layoffs, like massive, massive layoffs. I feel like nothing's stable at this point. <laughs> so, um, for me, it's just doing what I absolutely love and enjoy. And for me, I feel like the field is extremely wide as well. Not a lot of people, a lot of people see it as one dimensional. But if you see if you start looking at events on a major, like major, major scale, everything that starts from like over a hundred thousand people attending the event. There is such a variety of roles available. Like you can do when I started doing events, I thought that there's like five different fields you can go into like production, uh like actual like A V and all of that, like the the like the technical production, let's just say so production is like the logistical side of it, technical production, marketing, um what else like artist liaison and I don't know, uh okay, that's that's what I thought was was the case there's like things like health and safety. That's a whole different field. I did not realize about before licensing that's another field. I mean, there's like 80 different fields that I have noted down. I recently like delivered the keynote on this and I'm like, there's so many fields like when you do the payrolls for a festival, it is just endless people around it. I don't know diversity, inclusion, accessibility teams, water safety, water safety is a thing. When you arrive at a venue, which is going to host like 100,000 people. You need so many people for testing the water and actually running the pipes. It's it's insane. It's a, it's a simple thing like that. So when you start looking at like major, major events, there's so many paths you can take, uh, whether it's touring, whether it's like working project to project, uh, whether it's working with the same company as an agency for a whole year. It, there are many possibilities. But for me, I definitely want to scale out of events management. I want to move to consulting. Um, that's a thing that I'm really interested in. Uh, I know it's a very niche niche thing, but um, seeing how many different companies have data sets to work on, for example, in terms of data analytics and all that, like currently you can track so many different things like purchases of uh, food, beverage, you can see sometimes you can even see the like if you use the wristbands in the festivals, you can even see when people are walking for different gates. So basically even track their movements completely. Uh, You can see how much they're interested in specific acts. How are they perceiving different food vans? It's it's insane how much data can tell you, and um, to be able to focus on these major projects and consult them with that data and all of that, I would actually want to just scale to that That's side. That's Super interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, so, I, I I love that. I think, I think I mean I'm I'm working at the the Office for National Statistics now, and whilst yeah. it's not maybe as glamorous and applicable to to what you're saying, it's given me a, a at a very basic level and appreciation for i mean i worked at a tech startup that basically dealt with data primarily before you know the the dragon's den um generate and i think the world of data fascinates me so much because it's not that they care about you as an individual which i think a lot of people get scared about they they don't care about you but they care about if there's a thousand people doing the similar thing of you that shows a pattern in human behavior and and the fact that we are a only learning in recent years to tap into that. Yeah. It's never been a thing in human history that we've been able to track this on scale so that we can make so many better business decisions ahead of time to save us losing money, to maximize profit, like exactly as you say, you know, positioning the brands in different locations yeah. and the different brands that people prefer and you know, informing. And essentially that's what consulting is, isn't it? It's kind of drawing this all together and with, with data driven and especially with you know, sort of AI code that people can put together these days with kind of working that stuff out. I mean, you know, people always go doom and gloom about the future, but it does sound like there's really, really exciting opportunities. And you know what? Like, if it's a niche niche, as you mentioned, then it's the perfect thing to get into because I only see that as becoming a bigger niche. I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon, the, the use of data analysis.
0: So so for me that's a scary industry to be in because it doesn't really exist like i mean there are like people that specialize in it and all of that but it's not like a massive thing that people think about after going to you like after going out of uni you know so yeah it's a it's an interesting path but for me i want to find the path to finally get something more remote and flexible out of events management rather than always being on site so get the same benefits as we're talking about, like ethical working, uh, normal hours, sleeping, and all that balance, and still doing in the field that you actually love. That's like more chaotic than normal and all of that. So um, yeah, I would say that's that's going to be like this the next natural step for me in like another three or five years. Yeah, that'll be the case.
1: Reminds me of a quote I saw somewhere, which is that if your dream job doesn't exist, just go and create it. Yeah, and I think. I think if anyone can do it, it that I know it will be you <laughs> from from the conversation today. I mean you've you've demonstrated all these 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 traits which have come together through that in, innovative sort of entrepreneurial spirit of just taking those opportunities, which is like as we discussed, you know, it wasn't always the case. you were you were shy and 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 maybe even bullied at school, and I think hopefully that's a message of of hope to people listening wherever they're at on their journey whether they would consider themselves to be more like you or, or like you were maybe 10, 15 years ago. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, super, super inspiring stuff. And I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I have to say, um, I feel like we're, I feel like even though we're doing such different things and, you know, there's so many variables, I think on some levels we do share like the principles underneath, if that makes of sense. Like we, yeah. And I, I mean, I've obviously spoken about the parallels between some of the things in my life and some of the things I've recognized in yours. So it really yeah. has been a been a pleasure to chat. If people want to kind of get in touch, and people want to follow you on LinkedIn, or if there's anywhere else, uh, where can people where
0: can people do so? Yeah, LinkedIn would be ideal. Uh, just just drop me a message. I'm actively replying to everything that I receive there. So, uh, yeah, it would be lovely to connect or to actually just talk over over like online meets and all of that. Um, that's the thing that I'm definitely keen to do. Um,
1: yeah. Perfect. And. You know what, if we stay connected and I keep doing this podcast, then who knows in many months or years' time, uh, might be on for episode two, see how you're doing. But um,
0: yeah, absolutely. Like there's,
1: there's so much more to talk about. But I think this has been full of value. This has already been um, slightly over our time. But I thank you for, for giving the time today to share. Your thank all,
0: you so much you know, for your time, yeah. It was really, really nice. Awesome. Um, thanks for all the questions and the research. Yeah, that was really nice.